0: our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this tremendous privilege, this honor, this true honor of gathering together as family, Father. Thank you for your patience with us, your mercy, your grace, your love, and thank you for always encouraging us day after day. Uh, we're so weak in our flesh sometimes, Father, but you're always there faithfully each and every morning anew. This we can depend on, even if we can't seem to depend on ourselves or even each other. Thank you. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, there's just something about his name, part 5. Let's start off with some scripture that's going to be fundamental to this evening's message. Go to Proverbs 22, verse 1. Proverbs 22, verse 1. We're going to talk an awful lot about names this evening. Uh, It's been focused so far on the name of God, uh, which is a perfect lead-in. But we're going to use that as a segue into a more generic study, at least this evening. On names what about names do you have a name I have a name but do you have a good name that's the question that really is the question Proverbs 22 verse 1 a good name is to be more desired than great wealth Proverbs 22 1 a good name is to be more desired than great wealth favor is better than silver and gold hmm up here on the board A fool and a knave may have great riches, but a good name, which supposes a man to be wise and honest, redounds to the glory of God, and gives a man a greater opportunity of doing good. That's just to borrow from Benson. Again, a good name. Why Proverbs 22.1 to start off an evening like this? A good name is to be more desired than great wealth, Favor is better than silver and gold. And the reason I'm quoting this Benson commentary is, Uh, mostly because of the second half of the statement on the board. A fool and a knave may have great riches, but a good name which supposes a man to be wise and honest redounds to the glory of God. And this is the part that I really liked and gives a man a greater opportunity of doing good. Think about it. If you have a a good name, you have entree. Entree. whether we like it or not, people are more likely to give you a seat at their table. To listen to the gospel even. To consider you an example. To look at you as um, a light, a beacon, if you have a good name. All to the glory of God, of course. Uh, and so God favors that in us. God wants us to have a good name. And that's what Proverbs 22 verse one says and remember these are proverbs 22 verse one is a wisdom verse hold on just a second the lights are a little bright for me proverbs 22 verse one is a wisdom verse through and through Um, and again uh, a fool and a knave may have great riches but a good name which supposes a man to be wise and honest redounds to the glory of god and gives a man a greater opportunity of doing good in the original language, just so you know, the word good isn't actually present. Rather, the translators put it there because it is indicative of what the Scripture is trying to say. I was thinking about it. Have you ever heard a person say, as, as I often do, a contract is only as good as the signatures or the names on it? Why is that? That's Proverbs 22, one. It's contract is only as good as the signatures or the names on it. The idea is that a person's good name means everything. And when you hear the name Moses or Abraham or David, are these good names? You bet they are. How about Jesus? How about Jesus? That's the best name, Right. On the topic of names, a person's name carries much more than a mere organization of letters or a, mere, or a means of being called out of a crowd. A name transcends mere communicative processes. A good name is earned, even. Proverbs 22, verse 1. I know a lot of people, unfortunately, that have earned a lot of money but have sacrificed a good name. And that's a shame. And if that's the case, it's really hard to get a seat at anyone's table without a raised eyebrow. So a good name means much more, as Scripture just pointed out, much more than any form of wealth, worldly wealth. And we shouldn't shy away from such things. We shouldn't. Again, a person's name carries much more than a mere organization of letters or a means of being called out of a crowd. A name transcends mere communicative processes. A good name is earned. And frankly, you might do well, as I have, even as recent as today, of course, based on this lesson, you might do well to think about your own name. What about your name? And then after you're done with that exercise, consider the name of Jesus Christ. What about His name? His name is synonymous with perfection, trustworthiness, godliness. I suppose if any of us had that kind of reputation, that kind of good name, we'd never be asked to sign a contract, ever. We wouldn't need to because people would be able to trust us at face value because of our good name. Food for thought as we open up this evening's message, and we'll get back to that again and again. Just a quick review of Tuesday's lesson. The one thing that stood out to me was the following. No person, no hope. If there's no person to say thank you to, then there's also no one to rely on going forward, no one to hope in. If this is true, then there's no knowledge of someone that might actually care about you, love you, and be in ultimate control. That's from Tuesday's message. And the world has a response to this, as it always does, up here on the board. The world says that When something good happens to you, it's the universe or it was fate, quote-unquote. And I'm not going to repeat the foul language that Scott had in his notes. He said, well, that sucks. I saw him being all crazy up here, Scott. I don't know what happened to you. You're on the decline. (laughs) And it really does stink. Here's the truth. The satanic ploy, the kingdom of darkness robs people of the knowledge that God is good and he loves his children. Satan's fear is losing power. Knowledge is power, so he desires to keep people ignorant, distracted, and preoccupied. It's enough just to say there's a higher power out there. It's enough just to say you believe in God. It's enough to be you know good enough well that's a lie and that's a satanic ploy he doesn't want you reading your bible as our message series title reflects up here on the board there's just something about his name he certainly doesn't want you to become intimate with the name of jesus christ or any name that god takes on in the bible why because there's power in god's name in what sense to deliver us. there's always has to be a power source. If you're at point A and you have to get to point B, we might call that a motive force, some kind of energy, some kind of force to deliver you from here to there. And if you're dead as a corpse, which you are born like, then you need God's power. Satan doesn't want you to tap that ever, not at salvation nor after salvation. Those who deny Him, deny His name. That's what we've been learning. Tons of scripture uh, behind us already. Just to pad this idea a little more before we close out the series, though, something came up this past week that made me think about how God uses names to intimate us with our surroundings. To intimate us with our surroundings. You might even go so far as to say that the Bible teaches that names produce or even equal a sense of intimacy. That names carry intimacy as a function of being given a name in the first place. As is often the case with the most fundamental issues of our faith, we're going to go back to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis this evening. And I always love this approach whenever the Spirit takes it, because it removes the need to investigate, let's call them contextual complexities, contextual complexities. When we go back to the very first book, not a whole lot has happened in human history, right? It's just the Creator and whatever He creates. And so the truths that are in the book of Genesis become inescapable. Someone can't say, well, was this, and well, this was going on, and well... Not really. Reading Genesis is what we might call baseline theology. Very simple. The Creator and His original creation. There's not a whole lot of other things going on in the book of Genesis. What I mean to say is the following. The beauty of the first book. The benefit of the Genesis creation account is that context is minimized to Creator and creation in their simplest forms, as opposed to, say, the Book of Acts, where there were a multitude of contextual considerations. You know, who was the audience? Who was it—a Jew? Was it a Gentile? Was you know what's going on—the ruler? Are they a believer? Are they, all this kind of things. Genesis doesn't have that problem, does it? Genesis is very simple. And if you know anything about the way God uh, functions you know that everything goes back to simple building blocks. He's not trying to be confusing. God's not a God of confusion. And so the beauty of the the first book is, as it's stated on the board, context is minimized to creator and creation in their simplest forms. In the case of our current study, naming is also a well-established practice given to man by God. And remembering the following, up here on the board, <clears throat> James one seventeen. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so, again, in the case of our current study, naming, the process of naming, is a well-established practice given to man by God. And James one seventeen says... Everything given by God is good. This means that the practice of naming, since it is established by God in the earliest account of creation, is intrinsically good. So receiving a name, giving a name, is good. For a variety of reasons. As we just saw, there's an actual, there's actually fruit of bearing a good name because it brings glory to God. And so God wants His creatures to have names, especially the ones after His own image. So in other words, if God asked man to make names for his creation, which He actually did, the act itself is a good practice because everything from above is good. And God's the one who gave us names and the ability to name. And any time there's something intrinsically good given by God, we can surely rest our hats on the fact that unless otherwise perverted, for example, using the Lord's name in vain, the thoughts and emotions associated with said thing are also good. So if he gives names, he gives name-giving as a process, then everything associated with names and name-giving are good until perverted, of course. I just want you to keep those sort of precepts in mind uh, as we go back to this incredibly edifying book that just keeps on giving. Go to Genesis 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7. Keep in mind that names and the giving of names and the receiving of names, that's all God-given. And anything given by God is good intrinsically can we use someone's name in vain yeah but that's us mucking it up like we always do genesis 2 7 then the lord god formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being as we're going to see up here on the board the sequence of naming. God's creation was made before he chose to name the elements within it, including man. For example, quote, the man, as we're going to see in Genesis 2.8, isn't called quote, Adam until after the naming process commences in Genesis 220. And so Adam is the man until he's given a name. And so there's a sequence. God creates and then assigns a name. And so the process of name giving, since it's from God, is good. But we see a separation between the actual creature and the name. And we have to, that causes us to pause. That's not by accident. God never makes mistakes, and everything's sort of deliberate with God. So the sequence of naming, God's creation was made before he chose to name the elements within it. And I'm not talking about uh, omniscience, so don't get goofy on me. I'm talking about what's revealed to us. God's creation was made before he chose to name the elements within it, including man. For example, the man in Genesis 2:8 isn't called Adam until after the naming process commences, Genesis 2:20. Is this some kind of earth-shattering discovery? <laughs> Not really. But it does give naming in general special revelation. It does give naming special revelation and even a pattern that we can sort of grab hold of. While it isn't much, we at least see, again, that naming is something that typically follows creation at some later time. This is a little bit like how we humans take a little time to name our babies after they are born. Some of us do anyways. Sean didn't get named for six months. He was it. Get the blob. Roll them over. Throw some powder on them. I'm just kidding. Jeez, man. (laughs) But we do that sometimes. Have you ever noticed, though, what the first question a person asks a new parent is? What's his or her name? Oh, what's his name? What's her name? Why? Have you ever noticed how impatient people get when parents can't decide on a name for their newborn i mean people get like seriously upset come on i need to know let's get this process going i need to know what's his name what's her name why is that seriously why is that did i mean god obviously put that in us we want to know the name why because names carry intimacy I'd argue that God has placed a special intimacy in each of us that depends upon knowing another person's name. As if bonding cannot be consummated in the absence of a name. Names are something that, biblically speaking, carry real weight. I mean, look at Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, right? What's in there? A bunch of names. good names, right? To this day, people swear on their own, or even someone else's name, right? I swear on my dead mother's grave. That's ridiculous. Don't scratch that one. But people do that, right? I swear on my son so-and-so. I swear on... It's like the other people must be like, stop doing that, will you? It's probably going to affect me somehow. (laughs) <laughs> have you ever heard someone say, I won't trust you until you say, I swear to God? Why is everybody like, <gasps> I have. Obviously, I'm the, me and DJ are the only idiots. I've even said such things in ignorance, whatever. You get the point. As we know from Holy Scripture, God's not a big fan of swearing by his name, though. This is where it gets interesting in the Bible. God's not a big fan of swearing by His name or making any kind of vow or covenant for that matter unless we intend to keep it until death. That's what a covenant vow is after all. Like marriage, until death we, do we part. That's what a vow is. It's supposed to be until death. And whenever you do something before God, God's not big on using His name so that we can break it. I'm just not a big fan of it. Go to uh, Ecclesiastes 5.2. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2. God basically is saying, don't use my name then. Do you want to make promises amongst yourself? Of course I'm watching. I don't want you to lie. But don't use my name, especially if you're not really serious especially if you don't take my name serious, my authority, my power seriously, solemnly. I mean, the last thing we should ever be thinking of doing is swearing to God. Whatever it is we're swearing to God on, in the presence of God, it better be a fact. It might as well be a fact in our souls, in our disposition even. Otherwise, we shouldn't be doing it. Ecclesiastes 5.2 two. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Up here on the board, God's name in a vow. The Bible does not want us to use God's name as part of a vow that we have no intention of keeping. We should never be that flippant uh, about bringing up God's name in a vow. A name invokes a sealing upon a vow by the strength of the name itself. If you said, in the name of this speaker, I promise you, you'd be like, dude, seriously? This, what? Seriously? Or think of the worst person. In the name of Adolf Hitler, I promise you. What? Why are you laughing? You know, if I said in the name of Jesus, I promise you, which I'm not going to do, but you know what I'm saying. Pick the person you really respect. In the name of that person, this will happen, I promise. What's the problem? Because there's power in a name. So says the Bible. And a good name is something that we value, should value above wealth. A name invokes a sealing upon a vow by the strength of the name itself. It's untenable to break that seal, misappropriate it, or disrespect it, especially for personal gain. And that was my contention with, you know, so-called self-help programs. You want to go help somebody? Fine. But don't say, oh, this is God, you know, the God of the... No, it's not. Don't say you're going to help somebody in the name of God, because you're not. That's disrespecting my Lord, and I have a problem with it. And so does God, by the way. So this is just one area of application of what the Spirit's been teaching us all along in this series, that there's real power in God's name. So knowing this, we ought to, or we ought not do as the so-called self-help programs do, that is, borrow from his good name. We ought not borrow from his good name. That's disrespectful. As I stated a couple of messages back, you're better off not mentioning God or pretending to at all in such programs. Up here in the board, we ought to preserve God's name. God's name is never to be used as a punchline to human emotions. I swear to God I'm going to do this thing. Are you really swearing to God? you know I swear, I swear, baby, I'll never lie to you again. <laughs> That's a lie. I don't think anybody could actually say that, right? And be honest about it. so maybe you shouldn't do it. Maybe you should say, maybe you should be honest. I'm probably going to lie to you in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> no, I'm not suggesting that, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm living a lie. <laughs> But don't say, I swear to God. That's the point. Don't say you swear to Swearing to God is not a punchline to human emotions. Hollywood uses all. I feel like reaching through the television, not that I watch television, and choking people, and saying, you want to swear in your own name, fine. But don't do that. Don't say that like you know my God, even. Because you obviously don't. So don't swear upon his name. God's name is never to be used as a punchline to human emotions. And we definitely shouldn't use his good name to advance something ungodly, like human plans for sanctification. For example, as the Spirit brought out these types of self-help programs that do it. Again, the instigating thought for this little sidebar in Ecclesiastes is, up here on the board, the value of a name god has placed a special intimacy in each of us reserved for knowing another person's name as if bonding cannot be consummated in the absence of it interestingly enough this pattern is clearly seen in the creation account as we'll continue to see so far as uh, we've seen we've seen that god created man And then later on, once broad-scale naming began, the first man was called Adam. And so we see this pattern. Go back to Genesis 2, 7 now. Genesis 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Again, up here on the board. The sequence of naming. God's creation was made before he chose to name the elements within it, including man. For example, the man in Genesis 2.8 isn't called Adam until after the naming process commences in Genesis 2.20. Look at verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then uh, we're going to skip to verse 18. We're going to jump over the land and rivers interlude, I'll call it. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And FYI, similarly, the woman is created and referred to generically prior to being given a name. Verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Have you ever named uh, an animal? No. I want to choose. Why does every kid want to choose the name of the puppy? Because they want to bond. You see? That's my name. I picked it. Why does Andrea want to pick the next pre-class song? Because she wants to bond with you all. This is mine. She'll be back on the couch, isn't <laughs> Oh, time to hear my song. Everybody, let's go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. There was an intimacy there. God said, you know what? I'll, give, I'll let you name all the animals. You go ahead and have, have at it. And whatever you call them, that's what it'll be. You want to call it a horse? It's a horse. You want to call it an ox? It's an ox probably get tired after a while anyways God gave the man naming ability God enjoyed seeing his own creature the one made in his own image Genesis 1:26 name those creatures subservient to himself God enjoyed it said hey you have have fun you name it whatever you name them I'm good Well, that's an honor, isn't it? That's what we call delegation of authority. Apparently, there's godliness in being the one giving names. This authority is delegated by God himself to mankind. This is the aforementioned pattern I mentioned earlier up here on the board. God has given man the authority to name, quote, and whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Genesis 2.19, God has given man the authority to name. And because it's from above, you know what? It's good. One of the things is a special intimacy that occurs. Let's read this verse again, verse 2.19. After all, Adam was, or the man was getting intimate with his surroundings. Uh, Isn't that what you do? If you ever been to like a, anybody ever been, some of you don't, do this stuff, but I remember when I was in industry, uh, group meeting. Okay, everybody stand up and tell us one thing about yourself after you give us a name. Uh, The the first thing you do to get comfortable in a situation is to get to know someone's name and maybe a little tidbit about them, whatever. That's what was going on, though. See? And that's a pattern that started way back uh, in the garden, even. So verse 19 Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, this is the first mention of his name in scripture, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman, you notice it's a generic name, the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Who got to to name her? he did, she shall be called Woman, capital W, at this point, we're still not to Eve, but we're getting there, because she was taken out of man, up here on the board. You might know a little bit about the original Hebrew here. Man was Ish, woman is Esha. So uh, the first man, Ish, named the first woman, Esha, woman, because she had her root in him. Notice that the authority to name was given to the man, not the woman. Notice the authority to name was given to the man, not to the woman. I want to read something from J. Vernon McGee on this particular verse. Quote, The woman is the other part of man and is to answer to him. God intended man to take the lead. He created him first and he created woman to follow. The man is the aggressor. God made him that way, even physically. And woman is the responder. Up here on the board, he quotes, Do not tell me that a wife has to love her husband. God does not say that. God says that she is to respond to him. If he says to her, I love you, then she is going to say right back to him, I love you. Interesting how the pattern works, huh? Again, God says that she is to respond to him. If he says to her, I love you, then she's going to say right back to him, I love you. And then one more bit of quotation from McGee. When a man tells me, my wife is very cold, that is a dead giveaway that he is not really the kind of husband he should be. If he is the right kind of husband, she will respond because he is the one to take the lead. That's a good lesson for every husband in here. Every young person that's not yet married, you want a loving wife? Love her. You want a respectful marriage? Introduce respect. Earn it with a good name starting with your duties as a husband. You want a virtuous wife? Treat her virtuously. Why? Because they're built to be responders. You want a woman to despise you? Despise her first. You want a cold bed at night? Introduce coldness to the marriage. Stay out all night. Drink beer. Play golf. Watch football. Whatever it is you do to occupy your time, when your wife's over there saying, "What about me?" and then you complain to your friends, "My wife's a anchor, stale, cold." Hmm. She's just a reflection of what you give her. You give her nothing, you get back what you deserve. Hmm. I know hard words, huh? Those are my words. That's from the Bible. That's the way we're designed. That's the pattern. That's why women. Single women, you're better off staying single. Single. Unless God makes it completely obvious, this is the one I have for you. Single men, what can I tell you? There's a lot on your head. Again, verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then there's the whole fall in the garden interlude. Go to Genesis 3 9. We're going to skip forward because we're focusing on names. Genesis 3, verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man, presumably by name, and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman. <laughs> right? And now she's got, a, she's got a name and everything so he can point to her. She did it. That one over there. The one with the name. The one I'm intimate with. The one you gave me authority over. That one. <laughs> the woman who you gave me to be with me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. This is called failure, in case you were wondering. Okay. Isha's failure over Isha. The first woman wasn't even named yet when the first man blamed her for his own failures. <laughs> you can laugh, because it's ridiculous. Are you surprised? Men still do it to this day. She's the reason our marriage is in disarray. Really? Really. What have you given her to respond to? What do you mean by that exactly? Hmm. the first woman wasn't even named yet. At least not Eve. Not her, the fullness of her name, I guess. When the first man blamed her for his own failures. We shouldn't be surprised, men. We still see it today. Let's investigate this practically for a moment. If you're a husband, you have the authority in the household. And God holds you by name responsible he's not mistaken he holds you responsible you're the one who took the vow right in his good name till death do you part right he holds you responsible men you have the authority in the household and by name by a name that you want to produce and turn out to be good to god's glory right proverbs 22 1 A good name? As we opened up with this evening, your good name depends on such things. I've taught this in the past, but I'll say it again in tonight's context. Issues, failure pattern today, up here on the board. Husbands, listen, if you don't give your wife something godly to respond to, you are leaving them open to the seductive influences of the kingdom of darkness women are created to respond. Let me say it again. Husbands, future husbands, if you don't give your wife something godly to respond to, you are leaving them open to seductive influences of the kingdom of darkness. Women are created to respond. This means that a wife's performance in her marriage is fundamentally a function of her husband's performance. Let me say it again. A wife's performance in her marriage is fundamentally a function of her husband's performance. So guys, if you're complaining about your wife, look in the mirror. Find the solution in the mirror. I'm not saying women can't be, you know, <laughs> is. I'm just saying. I'm Teaching what the Bible says. I'm not like Scott. Use all these crass words over here. <laughs> a wife's performance is a function of her husband's. That's a fact. How often do we hear of men being kicked to the curb by their wives? The big question is, why is that? Why? We are seeing the root cause of it right here... In Holy Scripture. Hold your thumb. Go to Colossians 3.18. Colossians 3.18. This is what I love about Holy Scripture. Especially on a difficult subject like this. You know, people start squirming and nervous laughing and all that kind of stuff. It's not Pastor Ed. This is the Holy Bible. This is what God has to say about the subject of husbands and wives and authority and subjection and love and... Initiators and responders and that good stuff. Colossians 3.18 Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Who's called to love? Honestly, who's called to love? Look, to be subject to a husband, that implies responding. Right? Right? Subservience implies leadership. That's what it means. Well, the way that a husband leads in a household is through love. So, guys, if you want a loving household, then love your wife. Like, really. You know, don't throw her a a nickel or a, a daisy every once in a while and say, I love you. No, you're in the way. That's not loving your wife. That's not what she craves. You think she craves a, a nickel or a flower or whatever it is, or a new hairdo to keep quiet? No. Love her. You want you, you have a problem in your home? Chances are it's you. I'm speaking from experience. Tammy's like, yeah! <laughs> yeah, what <well> he said. <laughs> Todd, I wouldn't laugh too hard. <laughs> Kathy's like... <laughs> truth hurts that's why the pattern is blatantly in scripture i could say it this way wives respond to your husbands the way you're supposed to husbands give them something to respond to i.e love them because that fulfills the whole law right love them why do you think the bible says for women to be subject respect submit to etc to the husbands and not to love Why aren't they the initiators, in other words? And likewise, why does the Bible say for men to love their wives, not be subject to? Our answer, as the Spirit's been pointing out here in our study, traces all the way back to the good names of Ish and Esha. Ish's good name depended on his leading his wife, and Esha's good name, excuse me, depended upon her subjecting herself to her husband. The failure, whether we men like to admit it or not, lies in the lap of Ish, a.k.a. Adam. Hold your thumb. 1 Corinthians 15.21. You need to have two thumbs now, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) 1 Corinthians 15.21. The failure lies in the lap of the husband, Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Don't believe me? Yeah, the woman, it was a woman's fault. That's what Adam said, right? The woman you gave me. And God said in Holy Scripture, for since by a man came death, 1 Corinthians 15, 21. Uh oh. Who's he talking about? Adam. Why is Adam getting blamed? Because Adam's the head of the household. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all are made alive. Huh. So God holds the head of the household responsible. And Adam is what we would call in theology the federal head of the entire household of mankind. What uh, One has to at least entertain the fact Now I'm getting into gray areas, so don't get crazy with me. I'm not making doctrines. I'm just speaking aloud and making you think critically. One has to at least entertain the fact that Ish maybe wasn't around to protect his wife from the wiles of the serpent. I don't know. I'm just saying, so don't get crazy with me. He wasn't there. It's a good model. If you're not there as a husband for your wife when the world's trying to get into bed with her, figuratively speaking, or literally... What's the problem? If you don't show her that you love her enough to protect her, to put the beat down on some moron, what are you saying to your wife? You're not worth it. I don't love you enough to protect you. So we can see the similarities with most men today. Most men don't take the time. They are too busy with the world to actually be a husband or a leader to their wives and so eventually women do what comes naturally they respond to counterfeits other men not their husbands I'm built to respond I need something to respond to you're giving me nothing I'm gonna go to a counterfeit the next best thing he's not you but at least I'm getting something here and of course God's not gonna introduce that because that's not good the kingdom of darkness surely will Because the king of darkness is expert at counterfeiting. Amen? That's how it goes, guys. Eventually, women respond to other men. Counterfeits to their husbands. Hence the point on the board. Husbands, if you don't give your wives something godly to respond to, you are leaving them open to the seductive influences of the kingdom of darkness. Women are created to respond. Okay, go back to your first thumb. Colossians 3.18. This is called the, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, the LIFO algorithm, right? Last in, first out, right? Oh, yeah, stack theory. Oh, yeah. Greg, we might be the only two people who know what the heck we're talking about. Colossians 3.18. That's programming speak. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Okay, back to our main passage now. Go to Genesis 3.12. I hope you see what the Spirit's trying to say. It really is simple. Guys, there's just no escaping it. It is what it is. God made us this way. God gave us the authority. I mean, it started even with the naming of the woman. Genesis 3.12. The man said, the woman who you, this is the blame, right? The woman who you gave me to be, oh, be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, so you look at that pattern. Adam says, hey, ps, Isha, blame the one below you. Don't we see that in business sometimes? It's okay. Blame the one below you. I'll blame you, and you blame the one below you. The one on the ground over there. Huh. But yet, we were supposed to have dominance over creatures. Hmm. So here's my big question for you men out there. And again, don't make this doctrine. It's just to make you think critically. Okay. Where was Adam when the serpent had his time with his wife? And I'll think about today. Where was the husband when the slippery serpent had his time with his wife? Granted, we cannot make any assumptions about things that aren't in the Bible, so I'm not creating doctrine. Please do not do that to me or you or anyone. Truth be told, the woman was going to fail no matter what at some point, as would the man. We know this. That was God's plan, part of his salvation plan, of course. But is that the point worth our consideration tonight? Is it? Is that the point? Is the point that, oh, well, she was going to fail eventually, and he was going to fail eventually. Is that the point that the Spirit's trying to make it? I don't think so. The question is simple. If Adam had given his wife more to respond to, would she be more or less likely to respond to a counterfeit? Adam was supposed to t- teach his wife doctrines, right? Adam was the one who was supposed to instill, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Is that fair? Okay. Transfer that to contemporary times. Let's not do this in our household. Let's not do this in our household. Let's do this in our household. What if you never do that? What if you never administer your household? What if you're always absent? What if you're actually physically there, but checked out, like a lot of you are? I shouldn't say a lot of you, a lot of men are, in their marriages. The answers are really clear. Some, may, or some men might already be saying in their souls, you know, trying to be wise guys, yeah, she would have failed no matter what, so what does it matter? And that may be true but those are the guys who typically fail in their own marriages, and their wives are off gallivanting with the world as I speak. What does it matter? She's going to leave me anyway. She's an she's a evil witch. What does it matter? Well, that's one heck of an attitude. That's a good foot forward as a leader. <laughs> uh Up here on the board. Issues failure pattern today. Men are typically cowards. Sorry, men. A good name is destitute of cowardice. Jesus' good name is devoid of it. In other words, Jesus is a perfect husband. Perfect. A coward fails to lead, leaving his wife little or nothing to respond to, giving the serpent opportunity to seduce her. Let me say it again. I know this is hard language, guys, but it's the way it is. God said so. Man are typically cowards. Good name is destitute of cowardice. Jesus' good name is devoid of it. A coward fails to lead, leaving his wife little or nothing to respond to, giving the serpent opportunity to seduce her up here on the board. What's the point we're getting to here? Is this this man-bashing night? No, it's really not. This is how we learn. Sometimes, you know, we got to get knocked off our horses, men. Stop blaming our wives for everything. A good husband has a good name. The perfect husband has a perfect name. A good husband has a good name. You see, men, a good name is something that is earned. That's how we began tonight's message with Proverbs 22.1. A good name's worth more than wealth. But a good name is actually earned. Especially in today's day and age. We must earn our wives' respect. That's why women, you should never, ever jump into a marriage with somebody you don't respect. Ever. Take your time. What's the rush? Otherwise, it's going to haunt you. We must earn our wives' respect, increasingly so, Over time, I think one of the greatest mistakes of all is that many men, it seems, even Christian ones, you know, land a wife. You know, they go fishing. Woo, gotta throw that one back. She's kind of, she's she's getting on. Yeah, oh, this one's a keeper. Yeah, I got her. I got her in the boat. Okay, throw her in the cooler. They land a wife and then they decrease their attention. Some people, if you could just keep up that salesmanship, you could be like the next Bill Gates. Or who's, I don't know, some great salesman. Right? Because you really did sell that poor lady on your awesomeness. And then you just tuned it off after it was all done. After you landed the big one. I got her! Woo! Yeah! Okay. As I tried to convey to my youngest son... Recently, Joey doesn't listen to me anymore. (laughs) Joey's like, "It's not true." (laughs) I tried to convey to my youngest son recently, it's a man's job to protect a woman's virtue. Even at a young age. That's why I had those that series on you know dating and American dating specifically being a farce and what have you. It's a man's job to protect a woman's virtue. Even at a young age, a woman is to feel protected, not left on her own, free but subjected to her husband, as I think it was uh, Makua said, freedom with boundaries, whether earthly or heavenly to Jesus, because that covers both. Some women are married, some aren't. If you're married, then it's earthly and Jesus. But if you're not married, then it's Jesus, which in many ways, as the Bible says, is a lot easier. When a good woman responds to a good man, God is glorified. When a good woman responds to a good man, God is glorified. But also she brings honor to her husband. Go to Proverbs 31, 23. Proverbs 31, 23. When she responds, when things are working the way God designed them, when a good a man has a good name, he's a good husband, and the woman is able to respond, God is glorified." See, so when you love the way Colossians uh, laid it out for us, when you give of yourself that way, you're blessed. Proverbs 31:23. Proverbs 31:23. Her husband, is known in the gates. This is the virtuous woman passage, if you would. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You see up here on the board, a husband's good name. A virtuous wife is a sign of a good husband. I always think, I don't know about you, but now the, the more I know about the Bible, I say to myself, why is that woman such a witch? Why is that? And then I see the husband and he's like, P-p-p-p. I'm like, no wonder why he's a wimp. Do you know what I'm getting that? He's like a do boy. He's, mm-hmm. And the woman's just got him like, you know, let's go stupid. And she has got the t-shirt on with stupid. Right. And it's him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. I got, he has no spine. So he lost it in like year three of the marriage. Then I, it's grotesque. So I often, I, the first thing I think about is the husband. Where's the husband? Whenever I see a woman that is just out of control, like Tashuka, I say, where's the man in her life? Oh, now I see. He's a spineless whatever. He's not leading. He's not leading his wife, you see. That's not a good name. She's got nothing to respond to. And so she is seduced by the doctrines of the kingdom of darkness. Things like feminism and such. But a virtuous wife is a sign of a good husband. A man's good name begins in the home after all. With a wife that is given something godly to respond to. That's what Holy Scripture says. A virtuous wife is a sign of a good husband. A man's good name begins in the home. With a wife that is given something godly to respond to. Guys, I think that sometimes that's our greatest jewel. People look at the family and they say, well, the wife is aces, so I'm going to give you a pass. I'm I'm, going to go with, I think you're doing at least something right in your home. And what is the beginning of that? I think it's verse 10, right? A virtuous woman is, is more valuable than a jewel. Harder to find even. Some of you husbands out there might be saying, but my wife, she's truly evil. (laughs) You know what I can say that, honestly? Oh yeah? Imagine how Jesus feels about his bride. You think she's bad? What about you? He's perfect. So let's be honest, as imperfect husbands, only Jesus has a perfect complaint. Only Jesus has a perfect complaint, being a perfect husband. The rest of us ought to stop trying to do as Ish did back in the day, blaming our wives for our own failures. So I'll end with this, and I'm two minutes over. I apologize, sort of. Build a good name. Build a good name. And bring glory to God. Whether husband or wife. Or even single being the bride of Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege to study your word. To share together, to fellowship together, to grow together. What a privilege it is to know each other by name. Especially you and your son. We ask for your blessings as we take these things out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.